It's so good to be here back with you guys again. Been a while. I've, uh, I've had COVID since I've seen you. <laughs> um, please turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter one. And while you do that, I just want to share with you for one minute how much you, the saints in Carpinteria mean to me. Um, I grew to know Jesus and enjoy him like I never had before here in the city of Carpinteria. I shared the gospel with people for the first time, seeing fruit from that, and then following up and ministering, growing in discipleship here in the city of Carpinteria. That happened in my life. I preached my first sermon here in the city of Carpinteria. Um, I, I saw... I saw hundreds of people come to Jesus and then got to fellowship with them together in church and watch them grow here in the city of Carpinteria. I was called by God out of my normal job into vocational ministry here in the city of Carpinteria. My love for you and the saints, all of you guys here in the city of Carpinteria is immense. I'm thankful for all that Jesus has done is doing, and I'm excited for what he's got in store for each and every one of you. Thank you for faithfully following Jesus. It is an honor and a blessing to be here. The title of the sermon today is, I was joking earlier, and it might be right, probably the longest title that I've ever given to a sermon, but it's a good one, so it was hard to to edit. The title is Treasuring the People, the Presence, and the Power of God in prayer. See how many P's there are in that? That's why I couldn't edit it out. Treasuring the people, the presence, and the power of God in prayer. Our our passage today is Ephesians 1. We're going to read from verse 15. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, writing to Christians, he says in verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, in your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet. And he appointed him, Jesus, to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your mercy. And this morning, Lord, we are especially thankful for your grace and your presence. 
Thank you, God, for these men and women and young adults and children. God, the saints in the city of Carpinteria. Thank you for the blessing that they have been, the blessing that they are. Lord, we long to see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. So we ask you today, as we submit to your word and we submit this time to you, Father God, to pour out your spirit in a way that help us, God, to sit under your word, help your word to penetrate into our hearts and help your word to grow in us that we would see Jesus and we would see more of Jesus in one another. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1988, I turned 16 years old and I got the old family car, which was this massive 1978 GMC van. I was very thankful for this van, but it was universally recognized. It was completely not cool. I wanted to build a muscle car, but I worked at a gas station. And back in 1988, I think I got paid $4.25 an hour. And, you know, I wanted to buy a car that would probably would cost me about a fixer upper was like 2,500 bucks. And so I was like, I would buy the classifieds, uh, the, the recycler every week. You older people, you remember that, right? It was like a whole newspaper. The whole thing was a, was a classified. And I remember one Friday, I bought the recycler and I saw this ad. I remember it's very simple. And it said, 1973 Chevrolet old lady's car, ugly, but in good condition, 900 bucks. So I call the guy and, and he's like, just come and look at it. I really don't know anything about the car. And so I took my dad. It turned out to be a brand new looking two-door Chevy Nova with a 350 V8 in it. Now, I wanted to just quickly and quietly pay this guy, right? And get out of there. But that, if uh, you guys didn't know my dad, that is not how my dad rolled. I got that car for 750 bucks. And I drove home just pinching myself. My dad shamelessly haggled that guy. See, what he was doing is he was unloading his parents' old car, Right? What's the difference between my perspective and his perspective was we'd assigned a different value to what we were looking at. He saw a yellow eyesore parked in his driveway. I saw a low mileage, all original, harvest yellow, two-door Chevy, no blah, 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 factory air even. This guy's driveway eyesore was a gold mine to me. If he knew the value of what was parked there, he could have made thousands of dollars more. Several thousand dollars sat in his driveway and I got all of them for 750 bucks. I tell you that story this morning as a way to, to kind of introduce the unpacking of this prayer of Paul's because brothers and sisters in Christ, the greatest spiritual treasure we can hope to discover and enjoy in life is already sitting in our driveway, so to speak. And in our text today, the apostle Paul shows us the tremendous value of prayer in helping us see and know and treasure this treasure. Everything we need is already available to us. The resources, the faith, the strength, the power to live a life of faith are all hiding in plain sight. And Paul connects these spiritual resources to us, to the Christian, through prayer. And it would seem in reading this prayer, that the value we place on prayer might define or help define our spiritual life and our spiritual character. 
There was a 19th century British minister and evangelist named Robert Murray McShane. He said this in one of his sermons, so convicting. He said, a man is what he is on his knees before God and nothing more. Now, each of us today is probably assigned a different value that we all have a different perspective on regular prayer and, and what that might look like in our life. For many Christians, we tend to pray primarily when we need something in our times of need. When something is wrong or lacking or we're desperate, we pray. And listen, that is good and right that we would do that. We are told to pray in that way. But there's so much more to prayer than just requesting help in needy times. In fact... Prayer is vital for all seasons of life, not just in the seasons of great need. When Paul prays in Ephesians 1, he prays for Christians to see and value, to treasure what they already have in Christ. And he's asking, he's asking God, appealing to the Lord for these Christians to see the incredible value of what is right in front of them. They already knew about Jesus. He's writing to Christians. They're already faithful to gather and to learn and to sing and to sit at the Lord's table. That's how they would have heard this letter is in the corporate gathering of the saints. But Paul prays for more for these Christians in Ephesus to see and value Jesus more. And we see in this that prayer is not only about asking for what we don't yet have. Prayer is asking to see and remember and to value what we already do have in Jesus. Our entire text today is a prayer. And it's helpful for us to see what Paul prays for. And it's interesting to see what Paul does not pray for for this church. Now, in other letters, uh, Paul does write his prayers down in other letters. And usually they're for specific churches or people because there's a specific problem or an issue happening. But here in Ephesians 1, there's no indication that there was any sort of problem that the Ephesian church was dealing with. And still, Paul says, I pray for you. And he doesn't just say, hey, I I chucked one up to the Lord for you guys. He's like, I pray passionately for you. And some of us might wonder, well, if there's nothing wrong, why is Paul so adamant? Why is Paul so passionate? Why is he writing his prayer down and sending it to the Ephesians? I mean, Paul writes the prayer down. If there's nothing wrong at the church, if there's no problem, why would Paul do this? And I think it's because it can be easy to have the perspective that prayer is simply crisis management. I I know it's easy in my life to kind of fall into that routine where I just don't have time to pray, maybe, or or I'm I'm, I'm just not feeling it or I'm not thinking of it. But every time there's a need, I'll pray that we tend to only turn to God when things are going sideways. In a previous job, um, I interviewed dozens, more than a hundred uh, World War II soldiers. And um, every interview of a guy who had seen combat contained at least one story of a fervent foxhole prayer. Every single one, regardless of what religion they were, regardless of what denomination they were, regardless of whether they were an atheist or not. Every time I go to Children's Hospital Los Angeles, which unfortunately has been a lot because of just the families in reality Ventura that have have needed to go there for different things. Every time I pray for a child in the hallway, two or three people will line up for prayer. 
many of whom don't have any vocabulary for God whatsoever. I, I, I sense that many of them may not even know God, but in, the des- in their desperation, they're looking for someone to pray. And often these are the things that take priority in our lives for prayer. And listen, it is good that we would pray in that way, right? But there is so much more to prayer than crying out to God in hard times. Paul isn't praying a foxhole prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, right? As far as we can tell, the uh, Ephesian Christians were A-OK. Paul doesn't say, well, they're doing just fine, so I don't need to pray for them, right? He's saying, listen, these guys are doing great, and so I need to continue praying for them. Continue in prayer for them. And Paul's prayer for these Christians is for God to stoke the fires of faith into an inferno. Not because they lost faith. He's praying for them because they have not lost the faith. And in this, we see that prayer is not only what we fall back on when things are not good in life. We also need to pray into the good times so that we are standing strong, especially when hard times hit. And so how does Paul pray into this good season? That's what we're going to look at. How does he stoke the fires of faith through prayer? Well, he models a prayer that I believe is vital for us to see today. I think it is necessary for the church to, to, to really study the way the Apostle Paul prays. He prays for the church to see and to value Jesus. And he does this in three ways. And there are three Ps, which I'm so proud of. He prays for the people of God. He prays for the presence of God. And he prays for the power of God. So let's take a look at those. The first, Paul prays persistently for the people of God. Verse 15, he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul prays persistently for other Christians. Now, it's easy for us to complain about other Christians, isn't it? So there's like five honest people out there. It is. I know that it is. (laughs) See, this is a thanksgiving prayer. Paul is thanking God for other Christians. He's persistently doing this. He's committed to it. He would do this often. Listen, that is hard to do. That's hard. It doesn't come natural to us to be like, I am going to pray a prayer of thanksgiving for this group of Christians that I'm having an issue with. See, when some of us think of certain groups of Christians it's not thanksgiving that wells up inside of us. We're annoyed or we're frustrated or we're disappointed or maybe we feel hurt by other Christians. It's much easier for us to pray for people to change than it is for us to thank God for them, isn't it? But this is not how Paul shows us to pray for others. Paul is thankful for other Christians, continuing in thankfulness. The pattern that we see in Paul's life is that thankfulness for other Christians leads him back to the grace of God. When he sees other Christians, he's looking for evidence of God's grace, and that inevitably leads him back to the gospel, which inevitably gives him a heart of thanksgiving. And notice that Paul doesn't just thank God for the grace of God for the Ephesians, like, oh God, you're so good for saving them, especially them, because we all know how they are, right? That's, that's not, it's not like this, this underhanded sort of thing that he's doing. No, Paul is praying for the grace of God that he sees in them, that they're exercising. 
Look at what it says in verse 15. He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, and here it is, and your love, he's talking about these other Christians, ever since I've heard about and seen evidence of your love, he says, for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. See, he's affirming the presence of God in them by calling out their love for others. Paul focuses on evidence of God's grace for the Ephesians, and he's thankful for the evidence of God's grace in them that he has seen and that he has heard because they have displayed God's grace toward others. Notice that Paul chooses to keep his eyes on God's grace, and so he is able to see it in others. He's able to rejoice in God's grace when he sees it in others. And he's able to be thankful for others, regardless of what other disagreements, regardless of what other disappointments they might have when they think of those people. And it's significant for us, I think, in two ways, as we consider how we choose to think about other people and what we choose to see in other people. I think it's very significant for the church in two specific ways. First of all, thankfulness for others keeps us from competing with others. Paul doesn't compare the Ephesians to other churches. He's like, well, you're not doing as good as this other church is. He he doesn't have that ever have that pattern of language. He doesn't compare them to himself or what he has done. Paul maintains a thankfulness for other Christians that saves him from comparing or competing with them. Rather than serving the relentless master of a competitive spirit, Paul maintains a thankful spirit. Thankfulness for others keeps him from competing with others. Christian, listen, this is important for each one of us. Thankfulness for one another will keep us from competing with one another. The second thing I think that's important to see about uh, for the church in regard to the way Paul prays for other people is that thankfulness for others also keeps us from complaining about others. We always have a reason to be thankful for another follower of Jesus. Always. And when we're thankful for someone, it's harder to complain about them. Isn't it tiring to be around someone who complains about other people? I hate that. But you know what I hate more? I hate more than that. I hate being around myself when I fall into a pattern of complaining about other people. It's the worst. It's exhausting. And Paul kills this potential that we all have to compete with one another. He kills this temptation that we all have to compare ourselves to one another. He he kills this, this tendency that we have to complain about one another. And he does it by persistently praying for others. He never stops praying for God's people. Christian brothers and sisters, listen, the reason that you might be struggling with other people. It could be because you've stopped being thankful to God for them. Maybe you've stopped praying for them. Maybe you've stopped searching for evidence of God's grace in their life. See, it's difficult for us to harbor anger and frustration toward people that we're thankful for, isn't it? By the same reasoning, it's hard to be jealous of people that we're thankful for. And Paul allowed a deep gospel appreciation for others to grow in him. And how did he do that? By thanking God for them in prayer. He had traded complaining for prayer. Rather than competing with others, he prayed for them. 
So that was our first point. Paul saw evidence of God's grace and he persistently prayed for the people of God. But Paul also prays for them in a second way. He prays that they would see and know the presence of God. It's our second P. Paul prays to experience the presence of God. This is verses 17 and 18. Now remember, Paul isn't asking God for some big change in the Ephesian church, right? He's not praying into some crisis there. No, he prays for these Christians to know and understand what they already have in Jesus. He prays for these Christians to open their spiritual eyes to the reality of God's presence, which is already with them. God's presence is something that they already have. Now, often we tend to pray only for people's circumstances to improve, right? Please heal my mom. Please help cousin Eddie to get a job, right? Those are good prayers and that's good to do. But notice how Paul's priority in prayer is not for them to, for the fire of faith to start in them. It's not this salvation prayer. No, the flames of faith were burning in them. He is praying for a spiritual flare up in Ephesus. Church, Carpenterias, the saints of Carpenteria, let's pray for the spiritual fire to flare up in this season among the saints in Carpenteria. And here's what that looks like. Paul writes it out here, starting in verse 17. He says, I keep asking, okay, here's, that's Paul's persistence again. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you, and here it is, the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Now notice what he's praying for. He's praying for wisdom and he's praying for revelation. Why would he pray for those things? He's praying for Christians, right? Why would he pray for those things? I think he's praying for those things because whatever circumstances we're in right now, Christian, your life might be going awesome. You might be in a place of confusion. You might be in a place of financial devastation. Your health might be struggling. I don't know where you are. And Paul didn't know where each of the specific people were, but he prays one prayer for all the saints in Ephesus right now that we would know the Lord better, that we would be aware of the presence of God. We would be aware of our position, our place, the one who is with us. He says that the eyes of our hearts would be open, that we would know the presence of God and be encouraged by his presence, not only in times of crisis. He's not writing to them in times of crisis not just in times of great distress, not only when we're depressed, but right now, in times of need and in times of plenty. See, Paul's not waiting for a crisis to arise before he prays for wisdom and revelation. And, and when he prays for wisdom, he's, he, he's praying for them to understand how to find and know the Lord in whatever circumstances they're in, that they would have wisdom to know what's of the Lord and not. When he prays for revelation, he's praying for God to reveal his presence, to enlighten us, right? That we would have spiritual vision for our lives. When he prays for the eyes of their heart, he's like, man, I I pray that that truth would be real to you, not just in your mind, but in your emotions, the things that motivate you. Enlightened eyes allow us to see that God is always with us, no matter how hard, no matter how hurtful life circumstances might become. Because when we're thankful for the people of God, When we're aware of the presence of God, we long to live a life that is propelled 
by the power of God. It's our third P. Paul prays to realize the power of God. For, for the church in Ephesus to realize the power of God that is for them. Look at verse 18. He says, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. And then he describes that power. He says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, far above all authority, far above all power and dominion, far above every name that was invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. See, there's tremendous power that was already available to the Christians in Ephesus. The saints of Carpentria, there's tremendous power that is already available to you in Jesus. And what does Paul mean by power? He uses a few different words here. In verse 20, he's talking about this power that turns death into life, right? That raised Christ from the dead. Verse 21, the first part, he talks about this power that turns defeat into victory. At the end of that verse, he talks about, a, a kind of alludes to power in a different way. This power that turns despair, hopelessness into hope. And the good news here is that we already have access to that power, that multifaceted power. And Paul prays that we would see that and remember that. He prays that we would know that, intimately be acquainted with the presence and the power of God. And he prays for this. In the midst of that, he's praying for the spirit of revelation, that God's spirit in us, that he would reveal that truth to us. And what does the Holy Spirit only and always reveal to God's people? It's like the, it's like the only right answer in Sunday school ever. Jesus, right? God's Spirit reveals Jesus to us. God's Spirit reveals the presence of Jesus. God's Spirit reveals the sovereignty of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the love of Jesus. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul says that Christ is all and Christ is in all. Jesus is everything. Jesus is our reality. The truth of Jesus and that he is on is in all. It affirms the utter sufficiency of Jesus for every spiritual issue in the life of every Christian. Paul says you have everything you need in Jesus. Jesus is all that is necessary for salvation. Jesus is all that is necessary for a healthy and fruitful spiritual life. Jesus is all that is necessary to find joy, to be settled in our identity, to walk in power, to have hope in life. But the rub is, for us as Christians, is when we live, or if we were to consider living as if Jesus really is all, and Jesus really is in all, it's a very countercultural idea. It, it goes completely against the grain of culture because our culture and the wisdom of our culture argues not for Jesus' reliance, but for self-reliance. Our culture makes a strong argument for reliance on the government. Our culture makes a strong argument for reliance on science. We face constant opposition to the truth about the power and the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus in every facet of life. It is very counter-cultural to see Jesus as in all. One theologian 
compares this dynamic of a Christian trying to, to juggle with the, the constraints and the perspective of culture as like a dimmer switch that you would put in your living room, right? If you want to have one of those romantic evenings, you know, like the babysitter's there and you're like, hey, let's turn the lights down a little bit. You know, my house growing up, there were these round switches. You'd push it to turn it on and you could turn it up and down. My, I got rid of that as my kids go nuts for those things and it's annoying. But the idea is you can have your switch turned on. You got the Holy Spirit, you're saved. You know who Jesus is. But that dimmer switch can be turned down so far that there's barely any glow coming from the lights. There can be barely any current passing through those light bulbs. And in this dim place, it's easy for Christians, for each of us, to lose sight of the power that can bring such tremendous light. We forget how bright the lights are in the living room, right? And until my six-year-old runs through, he's like, ah, turns it up again. You're like, oh, you know, blindness. You're like, oh yeah, that's right. These are crazy bright bulbs. And see, Paul is praying for the church to crank up that dimmer switch. Saints of Carpinteria, our prayer today is that the Holy Spirit would crank up your dimmer switch that you would be filled to the fullness of Christ for us to see and know and understand and live according to the greatness of the person of Jesus. Look at verse 20. Paul says that God seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, far above all power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be his head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Church, it is vital. We must pray to see and remember and rejoice in and be thankful for how great Jesus is. Because we don't need to fear anything in life. There isn't any rule or ruler or authority that we need to cower to, ever. Jesus is above them. There isn't any dominion. There isn't any name on earth. There isn't any name in the universe that is above Jesus. Everything that Jesus wants to do to your life, in your life, everything Jesus wants to do through your life cannot be stopped by any other power. What Jesus wants to do in you and through you in Carpinteria cannot be stopped by any authority. Jesus isn't just above. Paul says he's far above all other rulers and rule. Far above. He's in a different league, right? He's far above Satan and Satan's influences. He's far above laws and lawmakers. Jesus is above every other name, Paul says. There's no force, there's no entity in the universe that can match the power of Jesus. And so when we struggle, listen, brothers and sisters, and we do, don't we? When we struggle, who do we run to? Okay, I was separated from my family, living in our motorhome, okay? It's a big shock, right? The guy from Ventura lived in a motorhome, okay? I, living in our motorhome, out in front of our house for two weeks when I got COVID. No one else in my family got it. It's just me, just, you know, the quarantine trailer. And while I was out there, I, I, I thought I just was on easy street, to be honest with you. The first three days, I was feeling good, you know. 
I was like, man, I got all this time. It was amazing. And then I started getting these crazy symptoms, you know, especially my left lung. I still have stuff going on in my left lung. And, and I'm like, Lord, what is going on, right? I, I, I might have said that, but what, what did I do? I went to WebMD where I diagnosed myself with lung cancer, right? And then I, I got this headache. And I'm like, I was about to cry out, Lord, but I went to WebMD and I'm like, dude, this could be cancer, you know? And WebMD always diagnoses me with cancer. Why wouldn't we run to Jesus, whose power is infinite on our behalf? If we would only remember, if we would only fix our eyes on the one who is above COVID, above cancer, above our fears. Jesus is above it all. He has dominion over it all. Why wouldn't we run to Jesus? See, in our passage today, Paul communicates good theology for us. He says, Jesus is all. Jesus is everything. If we would see and know the reality of Jesus's presence in our life, the one who is all and is above all, if we would simply remember the greatness of his majesty, if we would give ourselves to experience the greatness of his power, we would run to him and we would run to him, not only in bad times, we would run to him and cling to him in good times as well. But if we're not careful to remember if we're not careful to understand who Jesus is and the power that he has, we might forget. We may not value his presence as we should. We could be like that guy that sold me a car for 750 bucks. We could place a lesser value on something that is infinitely valuable. We might forget the tremendous value of knowing him and already having him. And so Paul prays for wisdom, spirit of revelation, for the eyes of our hearts to be opened. Why? So that we might know him better. We might have a greater awareness of his presence. We might have a greater understanding of his power. The apostle Peter talks about this in 2 Peter chapter 1. Let this be an encouragement to you today, saints. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for a godly life. Amen, huh? We have received all of this by coming to know him. Coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. See, in Jesus, you are in the one who is above every ruler and authority. You have everything you need. You're in the one who has power and dominion over every title. You're in the one under whose feet rests everything else. You're in the church, which is his body, Paul says. You're, you're in the one who fills all things in every way. See, the problems of life are not the result of the circumstances of my life. The problems in my life, my circumstances, aren't the issue. The circumstance of my life is awesome because I'm in Christ. See, the problems in my life are the result of my losing perspective. I lose sight of where I am and where Jesus is, or I forget who Jesus is. We are the people that Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, when Paul says that we all, Brothers and sisters, we all with unveiled faces were looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord 
and we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. That is what every Christian ought to be focusing on. We need to be focusing on more of Jesus because that is what the Lord is doing in our life is he's causing us to grow to be more life, like Jesus. Now, what if, what if we gave less space in our life, in our minds, and in our, in our hearts? What if we gave less space, space to the brokenness, less space to the darkness, less space to the scariness and the unknowns in life, and we gave more space to Jesus? Focusing less on our feelings of powerlessness and focusing more on Jesus' power focusing less on our hurts and brokenness and focusing more on Jesus's healing and restoration. See, Paul prays that we would take our eyes off of other things and that we would fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? So that we could know, so we could experience, and so we could walk with power in him. Look at Jesus Paul is saying that we are filled with Jesus. Church, we are desperate for the Holy Spirit to help us get a grip on this. Pray, ask God to create a desperation in your heart. We're desperate to get a grip on the beauty of the people of God. Ask God to give you a thankful heart for others. If you're struggling with being thankful for other Christians, ask God for help. We gotta get a grip on the value of other believers, the value of the church, the body of Christ. We need to get a grip on the value of the presence of God. Ask God, be desperate to know that you're in Christ. We, we, need, we need to get a grip on the greatness of the power of God in Jesus. See, this is what Paul models for us in this prayer today. Only Jesus can change us. Only Jesus can change the church. Only Jesus can change the community of Carpinteria. Remember, Jesus is not just in you for you. It's amazing the things that Jesus has done in our lives, isn't it? It's incredible the joy of the Lord that we have because Christ is in us. But Jesus isn't in us primarily for us. He is in you for his glory. He is in you to change you and shine through you. Jesus is in you to save the lost through you. Church, this is God's great plan to radiate through you. And God energizes that plan by his Holy Spirit. And where has he put his Holy Spirit? In you. God has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. God has energized this plan. In verse 23, Paul even says that the church is Jesus's body. That is quite a connection that he's talking about. The church is very connected to Jesus. Christian, there's real power in you and for you that God wants to, to, to use through you as you are in Jesus. There's tremendous purpose for you. There's a real rock solid identity for you in Christ. And these amazing truths these amazing realities are all in Jesus. And so how do we live in light of this? How are we supposed to posture ourselves in life? Well, taking a cue from the life of the Apostle Paul, prayer. We must assign a high value to prayerfulness in our life in order to see Jesus more. 
in order to see Jesus more in other people, in order to see Jesus's presence more in our own lives and in the lives of people around us, in order to see and, and see the need for God's power and God's plans for the future. Friends, let the practice of prayer punctuate our lives. Let's pray for one another. Let's be thankful for one another. Let's pray for an awareness of the presence of God, the presence of Jesus, that we would see Jesus and evidence of Jesus in each other and opportunities to bring Jesus into conversations and into relationships. Let's pray for an awareness of the presence of Jesus and let's pray for an empowered lives as we walk in Jesus, as we walk with Jesus, for the love and hope and salvation of God to radiate through our lives and through the church here in the community of Carpinteria. We are in Jesus, and Jesus is in us. Let us pray to see and remember and walk in him. And when Jesus is in our daily, our hourly, our moment-by-moment reality, when he is all that we see on the horizon, he changes everything. Church, let's prayerfully seek after Jesus as we live our lives for his glory in this new season. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. Let our lives, God, let our lives be prayerful lives. God, help us to be persistently thankful for others. To seek and to see your grace in one another. God, save us from criticizing others. Save us from complaining about others. Save us from comparing ourselves or others. God, help us to see and rejoice in your grace, working in and through our brothers and sisters. Father God, help us to know your presence, your nearness, to experience your presence in each moment of our life. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts to know Jesus more intimately today. Help us, God, to see and to savor the reality of Jesus and his presence and his love for us today. And God, help us to walk in power. Radiate your light in the spiritual darkness that surrounds us. God, give us the faith to trust you more. Help us to walk in your strength, God, and not our own. Give us courage as we walk in Jesus' strength. God, I pray for all the saints in Carpentria. Lord, empower your church. Radiate your love and your salvation through her in Jesus' name. Amen.